Welcome back to Trending in Education as we celebrate Teacher Appreciation Week here in the United States. And uh, this time around, we have Allison McDonald on the line to talk about early education. So we're covering the whole expanse of the learning process uh, as we go throughout the week. Dan Strafford, Michael Palmer, Brandon Jones here uh, talking to Allison. Allison, first and foremost, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, really appreciate you being here. As we kick off, uh, if you could, maybe some, some background on your work in early education uh, and what you have uh, as uh, resources and things that people could check out as we talk and, and after the interview. So first of all, thanks for having me. Um, as far as, as my background goes, I would say that I started like so many other people. I got a degree in, in elementary education, actually, and then ended up somehow in preschool which is one way a lot of preschool teachers end up teaching preschool. And then I fell in love with the little guys. And when my son, who's now 11, came along, I stepped out of the classroom and I missed it. I had been teaching little people for so long that one child at home was just not enough to keep me busy. So after a lot of friends telling me I should start a blog, I did. And that was early 2008. So I have been at this for a long time. Eventually I missed the classroom enough that when my youngest was um, in pre-K, I stepped back into the class. So I taught again for three years before stepping out this fall to finish my master's degree. So along the way, I, um, Along the way, I wrote a book for Scholastic. I co-authored a book called Raising a Rockstar Reader. And my co-author and I are very excited to be writing a second book geared towards teachers. So that's all early education. And I wrote for a lot of other places like um, PBS parents and Scholastic parents for a very long time as well. So I have really, if I look at what my mission is with early education, it's taking the hard stuff and breaking it down for the parents and teachers that need to know it. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Uh, quickly jumping on, uh, Mike uh, may have a, a, a more uh, succinct question here, but the idea of blogging this early, you, you've been on for a long time uh, on the uh, on the blogosphere. Have you seen uh, that be the biggest influence in how you've learned and how you've grown? Or, or have you seen a development uh, alongside the classroom and, and what you're learning uh, in, in pursuing a master's? I would say it's probably um, both. So as far as the blog, what the blog does that has been so great for me as an educator is it's brought in, I get a very global view and I don't necessarily mean global worldwide, but just there are so many different strands of early education and it's easy to see, to kind of synthesize all of that. It's easy to see the different methods, but then all the similarities as well. So the blog has definitely helped with that as far as kind of how I teach or what I focus on, definitely it's hard not to. I mean, you get more educated and you do have a different perspective, but I realistically, that perspective becomes a lot grayer. It's, you don't see the absolutes anymore. Once you dive far enough into research, all you see is gray. So that's really how it's changed me. Yeah, just kind of building on that, I was trying to understand, um, the challenges you must face trying to be an educator, but also a writer and a blogger and, uh, and, a, and a mom. And uh, how do you balance, how do you balance all those things? Cause that's especially, uh, you know, early childhood ed, it's when you're in, you're, 
you're pretty engaged, right? So, so I'm just trying to understand how do you, how do you juggle those, those different, uh, those different hats you might wear? You know, that's funny because that's why I had to step out of the classroom. I knew the second book was coming and I knew that I needed to really focus on this thesis and do a good job. Doing a bad job wasn't an option. So it was, there is no balance. I mean, I think if we are always striving for balance, we're never going to find it. But if we say, do you know, there's seasons for this, there's seasons for that. Mm. Like the balance is my house is a mess right now. That's the balance. (laughs) And I haven't been able, normally I train for marathons this year. Thesis came first. I haven't trained for a marathon Mm -hmm. um, this year. So it's really a matter of, and things like, like my daughter, I was saying um, before we started that she is, she's a high needs kid. Mm. And I've had to balance that. Like we, I pick her up from school every day because if I don't, if she takes the bus, she has a bad day. Mm. And so it's finding the priorities. Like I need to do this. So I have to do that. So I think throwing out the idea of being able to do it all Mm -hmm. helps. And just, I mean, my bathroom's kind of gross right now and that's okay. (laughs) But, but it also sounds like you've, you've also been uh, somewhat reflective about yourself and sharing about yourself so that you could help others, right? Like, so like you started a blog you know, like you, you kind of were, you were almost over contributing of yourself as a teacher, at least initially. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Where like putting yourself out there through the blog and the other channels that, that you're talking about, um, do you have any recommendations for any other educators out there? Like, uh, you know, your point about boundaries, is it like, just be careful and, uh, be prepared for this to, to take on a life of its own or, or any, uh, any just general uh, recommendations or insights you gain? I think boundaries are really interesting. Um, I've been very lucky that I, most of the time that I've been blogging wasn't in the classroom mm. because once you're in the classroom, you feel like you're representing the classroom, you're representing the school. Um, I take a very strong stance on um, equity and inclusion in early childhood education, mm-hmm. specifically, um, well, not specifically with, but the one that gets the most pushback is LGBTQ um, books and whatnot. And I'm very strong about that. Mm -hmm. And I worked most recently at a church run preschool. Now the church, I'm in the Pacific Northwest. Like we're very liberal anyway, like the baseline is pretty liberal and, you know, inclusive. Um, But I've had to definitely be like, oh, okay, well, I'm representing this. I need to be careful of how I say this, but I'm not going to change my base values of what I think is important. Mm -hmm. So I think for teachers who want to blog, I mean, things like I've never shared, I've never shared my children's names. I've never shared pictures of my students. Even when their parents say they can, it's hands only. That's it. So you have to kind of be extra careful about the boundaries Mm -hmm. because- you never want to have to have that conversation with your principal or with a parent and have to defend what you've done. Yep. Yeah. I think in, uh, I, I think that's finding, finding the right balance and, uh, knowing your roles is, uh, is important. Um, I think, uh, I, I'd like to, if I can ask a question about the role of as an early childhood educator, uh, and I have a, a three and a half year old myself, so I'm uh, I'm I'm an interested listener, not just a uh, co-host along with you. But uh, any uh, any insights or um, pointers, things that uh, you know you might have shared in the blog, or things that you'd want uh, listeners. Some of our listeners have have children of their own that 
things that your listener that our listeners might want to hear? Um, do you mean basically like are you asking about resources? Yeah, I mean, I know that you have contributed yourself to a number of different resources working with different brands, but if there's um you know, and any either resources or or insights that that you might have that uh, a parent of a of a young child early learner might uh, might benefit from. I have a I have a ton. I mean, really, when I think about what the the seed of what I do is is trying to make teaching your children, whether it's at home or in a classroom, easier. So. It's all about that. So book lists about every topic you can think of I have on the blog. And then also as far as as specific as thematic units that I sell for teachers as well. But I think also some of the communities that I've I've created online as well. I mean, every social platform is a little different. My Twitter is different different from my Facebook and Instagram is different from Facebook as well. And I would say that for parents following me on Facebook is probably the best option of finding things that are for parents that want to be engaged with their children in the educational sphere. Yep. That's great. Give us the, give us the shout out for where people can find you on, uh, on Facebook. It is facebook.com slash no time for flashcards. No time for flashcards. That's great. Yeah. I think that it's, it's interesting. My own experience is, uh, as a parent who is in education, there isn't really a blueprint. Like you don't, uh, you don't get handed when your child turns two and is going to be of a uh, you know, schooling age or, or three or whenever you're sending her or him, you, you don't get a, a user's manual. So I think, uh, even, sort of education aware and inclined parents, uh, there is a real need out there for resources, guidance, advice. Obviously, every child is different, but there are some themes that, uh, that hold true across all children, I'm sure. So uh, I think that's, a, that's, that's great to have a, a resource to go to. Yeah, and um, I think a good preschool should be educating the parents as well there should be that bridge. I mean, that was probably one of my favorite things to do was to be like, no, that's normal. Don't worry about that. Just that little, don't worry about it. That's normal. That's developmental. Mm-hmm. And being coming a parent has definitely changed that. I was a lot more sure of the advice I gave before I had my own kids. Then, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was grounded in research, but uh, yeah, I remember just different advice giving like, oh no, don't take them to bed with you. Like my seven-year-old's in my bed every night. So, so I mean, she gets in there herself later. But still, it's just, I think you become a lot more compassionate. Um, yeah. And I think that um, it's an interesting point about that part of the role of the school is to help educate parents. I think you know, we may talk a little bit later about universal pre-K, but there are, there are parents who aren't, you know, don't have those resources available to them, you know, until their child is in kindergarten. And, you know, from all the research that, that I've seen, you know this better than I, I'm sure, Allison, but um, you know, that's uh, too late sounds too ominous, but that's later than one might like uh, is uh, to start as a parent getting educated when your child is, is you know, four or five heading into kindergarten. Um, so for, for those parents who uh, have children in preschool, uh, get, uh, get, get connected to your preschool uh, and those who, who don't, it sounds like there are resources out there for them. Well, when you look at the really great school system, so of course we've all hear about Finland, But when you look at Finland or Sweden and you look at why they're so great, it's because their foundation is so strong. 
And that doesn't start in, even in preschool, that starts with maternity and paternity leave. Like that starts way down and it's universal. And so I think it, it does sound ominous to say that it's too late, but it, it, it's way too late. It needs to start earlier and early intervention is, there's very little research against it. I don't know if I've ever found anything and usually you can find something that goes against it. And early intervention is so important. Yep. So if you have a child and you're listening to this pod and you haven't done what you should be doing, stop listening. I feel like I say this every episode now. Stop listening and go get your, you know, come correct with your, uh, with your kid. I, I did. I did want to pick up a little bit on the themes you, uh, you designed around. I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, perspective because uh, we've talked about lesson planning for, for older children and for uh, adults, but I was curious how you landed on your themes because they're kind of, uh, they're kind of refreshing to kind of uh, browse through. And I was thinking about how some of those themes, like I hadn't really thought about what I could teach people about caterpillars uh, yeah. in a while. So I was just kind of wondering, uh, how did you land on the themes that you've landed on? And uh, uh, just any thoughts around like sort of the, the, the thematic approach you've taken to uh, lesson planning for, uh, for, K for pre-K? So it's interesting, thematic lesson planning is very classical, I would say, or very um, common in early childhood education. There's the group that says, no, we should come, everything's free play, free play. Now, I absolutely agree with a large amount of free play. And um, play is where kids will differentiate naturally. Play is where you will get to learn about your students and they will get to learn about you. And it's where they construct knowledge. But a lot of preschools really want a thematic um, calendar. Mm -hmm. Now, I love themes because it helps kind of guide that really free play. And like the thematic units that I make, I don't want to call it a curriculum. The word curriculum, and I'm sure you guys know this, is it's got probably 85 definitions. Like if you were trying to define it, it really depends who's reading it and in what context. For early childhood education, it generally means lesson plans. It doesn't mean what we may think of theoretically as what curriculum is. It means lesson plans. And what I've created is really different ideas that a teacher can use in a much broader um, sense. So they don't have to use do A, B, and C. It's just a few things that can fit into the theme. Mm -hmm. um, I think themes allow kids to work on those basic skills in a new way. So it adds novelty, which is really important for engagement. If you go into an early childhood education classroom during free choice, which should be most of the day, you will see kids that are engaged and you will see what I call drive-bys. Drive-bys go to the box, then they go to the water table, then they go to the kitchen and they're not engaging. Mm -hmm. And what I like about themes is that you can find that thing that that kid who is doing drive-bys, say all they ever wanna do is do color matching. Mm -hmm. Well, with themes, you could do color matching eight different ways and then go join that child and fit other skills into that color matching activity. Mm -hmm. So I think it just, it helps, you know, we have to really avoid making things that are just cute in preschool. Like, oh, that's cute. Mm -hmm. um, and instead we have to think of ways to engage the kids and uh, the novelty of themes help teachers do that so that that's done and they can work on connecting. Cause really 
the only thing that has to happen every day at preschool is there needs to be connections where teachers can extend on whatever play the child has found. But we get we get kind of busy doing other things instead. Mm-hmm. Talking to Allison McDonald. Uh, you can find her on Twitter at no flashcards. It's no time for flashcards.com uh, for more information. Now, Allison, you're just talking about uh, what sounds like some of the challenges of connecting with students and, and connecting with the parents to connect with the students outside the classroom. What do you say is the biggest challenge uh, in early education, uh, both in connecting with students and maybe secondarily uh, just for instructors? Like, What do you see as the big challenges out there? Do you know what? I think it really depends on the children that you're teaching and the families that you're teaching. I've been very lucky the last few years. I haven't had many challenges and that's perhaps why I went back and did my master's. I had really um, classrooms that didn't face a lot of challenges. However, that's not always been the case for me. I think, and when I listen to my readers, what the challenges are, behavior is a huge challenge. Behavior in classrooms is a major challenge. Talking to parents about behavior in classrooms is a major challenge as well. And then I would say also on the flip side, um, trying to get parents to understand that play is learning, that we should not be sitting our children down, our preschoolers down, or even, I mean, we can fight about it even to eight years old, really, down and doing um, really teacher-directed activities. They should be able to move around. They should be doing things that are developmentally appropriate. So I'd say those two, behavior and then getting parents, especially since so much of preschool is private and parents are also customers, Mm -hmm. um, getting them on the play bandwagon. I would say those two are the main ones. Yep. And um, I'm just curious about the name. No time for flashcards. Uh, where where was that? Because you didn't have time, or like, can you explain uh, explain where that where that name came from? So that actually, and I'm gonna have to look up because I can. Um, I have to look up the author. So it is a nod to a book called Einstein Never Used Flashcards, hmm. um, which was a book kind of in it is by I've just read there are two authors I just read another book um that they just wrote it is oh Kathy Hirsch Pasek and Roberta Michnik Glonkenkoff wow yeah I know it's hard when your last name. I understand why they have no time for flashcards also I could also see why you had to look that up yeah 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 (laughs) that's why it doesn't roll off my tongue yeah yeah Um, but they are, um, they are in their PhDs and the whole book was just about how it was kind of a, a response to all the baby Einstein things. If you remember about 12 years ago, everyone was working with their kids to learn all the letters at like, you know, 18 months or something. Mm -hmm. And that was a response to it. And mine was kind of like a nod to that, a nod to know we should be doing it through play not through these, you know, adult directed ways. Got it. So it, so it's really more embracing play as opposed to sort of the traditional constructs of like K-12 and, and beyond. Yeah. That makes exactly. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. Let me introduce you to this tiger is the, uh, the other uh, tiger mom nod. That's the, the alternative blog there. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, I had another question. Um, I think uh, uh, Mike did as well about, um, screens and sort of digital time for for children uh, in this age group uh, any uh, any points of view on that and it may be different for different kids but just be interested in hearing 
you know, we are, we're in a, a, a digital age and everyone has a device or multiple devices. Uh, what's your, uh, what's your take on, uh, on screen time for two, three, four year olds? So I have two different takes. One is a mom and one is an educator. So as a preschool teacher, there's no reason that I should have screens in my classroom. I say that, however, as a teacher who taught kids who had access to all of these technologies at home. So if I was teaching, um, like I used to teach uh, pre-K in St. Louis and my students were with me for 10, 12 hours a day. In that case, I would probably have some technology in my classroom so they could have access to it. The students I've taught in the last 15 years, there's no reason why I should have any technology in my classroom. They are getting enough, if not too much at home. <laughs> As a parent now, um, I think that technology is part of children's lives. I don't think that simply saying no screens at all is a realistic view. I think that teaching children to be, um, to use screens in a positive way is more important than just saying no completely. Mm -hmm. So, because there's so many positive things about screens as well. And I think if we can teach them to do that. So if my kids were still of that age group in early childhood, um, yeah, I would let them have screens. I did, absolutely. But it was limited and I was with them. And still now my 11 year old, he hates it. He has to play Fortnite in the family room. It's the only big TV we have. It's the only TV we have. And I'm right there. And so I can hear his buddies. I can, I know who he's playing. I stop and say, do I know your mother? Where do you, I mean, <laughs> but hopefully he will see that. So I think like anything, we look at early education as being developmental and we want it to be developmentally appropriate and screens have to be that too. So if I was teaching where my students didn't have access Yes, I would have some access. It would be limited and it would hopefully be geared towards their specific developmental needs. Mm -hmm. um, but as a parent, I mean, it's the struggle, right? We just all have to give me that, give me that screen because, <laughs> because it is, it's fun, but it's, it can be isolating. And so we don't want them to be isolated by it. Uh, the number of times I can uh, record my daughter saying, Daddy, can I have your phone, please? At least she says please most of the time. So I appreciate that that fact. Uh, Allison, thanks so much for the time. Uh, appreciate it. feel like we could talk uh, for, for many hours on this subject, and hopefully we can again in the future uh, bring you on to discuss as we celebrate uh, National Teacher uh, Day and uh, National uh, Teacher Appreciation Week. Uh, one more time, where can people find your work, and where can we look forward uh, to this new book uh, that you're discussing uh, in the future? So you can find me at notimeforflashcards.com and all of my social is there as well. Um, it's the easiest way. And then you can also find my book on Amazon and scholastic.com. I think target.com also has it. It's called raising a rockstar reader and it's published by scholastic. And the next book should be out June, 2019 and it will be, um, Rockstar Readers in the Classroom is the tentative title, and it will be early literacy activities for teachers. Allison, thanks so much again for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate your insight into early education. Best of luck uh, with that master's thesis you just tuned in, and hopefully we can talk to you again in the future. You can find her on Twitter at No Flashcards, the same on Facebook. And on the internet is notimeforflashcards.com, her blog and some of her thematic curriculum and lesson plans uh, that she has out there for early education. We continue on in our 
Teacher Appreciation Week and National Teacher Day back on Tuesday. Spotlights on teachers. We've had early education. We've had an ed tech and innovator uh, in uh, Stephen Anderson. On tomorrow's Trending in Education, we talk to Mark Sanders, a professor of philosophy at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte campus. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow morning with yet another great interview right here on Trending in Education.